All right, you can take a seat once you've met someone. I know some of you are so excited. You're like, yes, the meet and greet. We missed that. No, you did not. Hey, um, <laughs> it's going to be with you guys. Good to see you guys. So excited for today. Hey, we're in the book of Jonah. We're starting the book of Jonah today, this morning. So why don't you turn to the book of Jonah. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'd love to get you a Bible so you can follow along with us. But the book of Jonah in the Bibles that we're passing out, it's page 452 in the Bibles that we're passing out. If you're like, where's Jonah? It's after Obadiah. You're like, you lost me even more. I know. Um, but the book of Jonah, it's a, no harm, no shame in looking at the table of contents. No judgment here. Look at the table of contents. We've, I've had to do that once in a while. Um, but we are in Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1. So excited for this. Um, the reason why we wanted to go over this book, study this book, uh, as just I was praying over this year for us, 2020, um, here's what we see in Jonah, big picture. We see God's heart and God's vision for just a wicked, rebellious people group. We see that God is very gracious in his pursuit, very loving, very consistent in his pursuit. We see rebellious people who want nothing to do with God in Nineveh. And we also see rebellious prophet who also wants to run away from God in his own way. And uh, so this book will relate to all of us. Whether you go, I'm, I don't even believe this. I want nothing to do with God. Okay. Or maybe you're a religious person. You grew up in this, but maybe you run from God in different ways. Uh, this book will relate to us. Um, I, this is a book that I think I'm appreciating more and more. Might have mentioned this. This is kind of one of my son's two favorite stories right now, like in the Bible. And we get into theological debates called like, Jonah and the fish. He's like, it's the whale. I'm like, it's actually a fish, son. He's like, ah, um, it's Jonah and the fish. And so we kind of go back and forth on that. But this is a book Maybe you think you know, you think you know well, you've heard it, you've grown up with it. Um, if we were to look at this book as a whole, this book has changed art and culture. Uh, different artists, different drawings, different paintings throughout the centuries, really. Michelangelo even drew Jonah in the Sistine Chapel. There's like a little, you know, square or rectangle shape, you know, in the Sistine Chapel where you see a picture of Jonah. I mean, this just influenced culture and art greatly. I find this fascinating even in studying this, but um, if you've ever maybe had the opportunity or you go to catacombs in Rome, catacombs are basically these, these tombs that's underground underneath the city of Rome. There's like tomb, like this miles and miles of tombs in a sense. And uh, a lot of times Christians would gather back in the early church. They'd gather underground in these tomb areas, in these catacombs. Many Christians were buried there, but you can even still today go to Rome, go underground, and you have to go through a tour because you could get lost in these miles and miles of darkness and tombs. It's kind of creepy. But there's drawings on the Wall. There's actually these depictions on the wall of, different, of Jesus feeding the 5,000, of Jesus as a good shepherd, but you'll see a consistent drawing on catacombs in Rome is Jonah and the whale. They'll draw Jonah, they'll draw the boat, they'll draw the whale. It's interesting how that stamps on many Christians' tombs is this idea of Jonah and the whale. And you're like, why is that? Because Jonah and the whale speaks of death and resurrection. And they draw this on Christian tombs to speak of death and resurrection. Though we too go down to our grave, we will rise again. And you'll actually find this uh, on different, like I said, catacombs or tombs of Christians in the early church. This is a very powerful, powerful story. And maybe you feel like you're really familiar with it. You're like, oh yeah, is it, I know Jonah and the whale. Isn't that the story of the boy who disobeys his father, goes into a whale and lights a candle and then gets spit up and turns into a real boy? No, that's Pinocchio. Um, I, I know that a lot of these stories kind of get you know, muddied up a little bit. My brain sometimes confuses Jonah with like Moby Dick and you know Pinocchio, and I'm like, what happened? Did Jonah fought the whale? No, like, no. So I think there's maybe some confusion around the story of Jonah. Um, this is probably one of the better known books, but most misunderstood books in the Bible. Again, it's a really widely known story. 
but I think it's greatly misunderstood. If I had to give you some kind of like, here's the big idea of Jonah, we see that man, whether rebellious or religious, is far from God, running from God, and God is gracious in his pursuit. Um, We're going to see that man is a great sinner and God is a great savior. You're going to kind of see these big pictures of just the heart of man is pretty wicked, pretty broken, pretty messed up. And not just the pagans, actually the Christians, the followers of God, the believers of God. We're going to say that they're just as messed up as you could say the Ninevites are. So there's a lot of like pictures and stories and there's a lot of things to take away from this book. If I could give you anything, and and here's what I want you to see, because we're going to see this a lot. Um, If I had to define sin and define grace. And there's a lot of ways you say sin is falling short of the glory of God. Yes, absolutely. But here's sin in its essence and grace in its essence. Sin is simply this way, is running from God. Sin is simply put running from God. Grace is God running towards us or God's pursuit of us. If you want to think about sin in a big picture, sin is I'm running from God in, if not one, every area of my life. All of us run from God in different areas of our life. And grace is essentially God's pursuit of us. God's like, I'm coming after you because I love you. I'm going to pursue you. So the story of sin and grace is seen greatly. Listen, until you really see that you are a fleer of God, until you and I really see that we all run from God, I don't think we can ever really have a relationship with him. Until you really see, until I really see that I also run from God, I also don't want to obey the voice of God, the call of God. I might run from him at different times in different ways. Yes, I might pursue him at different times. All of us run from God and sin in some extent, to some extent. And yet we see this story in the Bible of God's pursuit. God's like, you run, I'm going to pursue. It's almost like, not, it's not this game because I would encourage you not to run. Uh, but it's almost like God's like, you've run though, I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to come after you. Whether through a storm, whether through a fish, whether through a tree or a plant thing, I'm going to just come after you. We just see God's pursuit of us. And I love this. There's so much here for us to to look at. Uh, One pastor, his name's Paul Tripp, he he said this about Jonah. I thought it was good. He goes, Jonah is everything you ever wanted to know about a biblical worldview in 48 verses. All right, Jonah's short book, four chapters, 48 verses only. Knowing us will take us like four years to go through. Um, But, okay, so it's it's only 48 verses. Like, if you want to have a good worldview of God, read Jonah. Why? Because in this book, you'll see that God is completely sovereign. You'll see God's compassion and his grace. You'll see that God is a missionary God, meaning God sends and God comes and God pursues. If you want to have a good view of God, uh, study Jonah. There's so much here for us to read and to look at. And so God pursues in this kind of a way. So let me just really quick give you like an outline of Jonah, because I think whenever you start a new book, you're like, I want to kind of know the big picture. I would say read the whole book, but also we're going to like look at it pretty deeply. We're going to cover six whole verses today, uh, but read the whole thing, see the big picture, but let's also kind of dive in. So here's really quick, a little outline of Jonah. Uh, chapter one, you see God's patience when Jonah protested. You see God's, God's pardon when Jonah prayed. You see God's power when Jonah preached, and God's pity when Jonah pouted. You're going to see that kind of these different themes uh, in the chapter as we look at this. So today's really God's patience uh, when Jonah protested, when he leaves, when he flees. So we're going to kind of see this as a whole. Um, I don't have time to fully get into this, but if you're like, I want to do a deep dive into Jonah, it's fat. The way Jonah is written really is truly fascinating. Uh, This book is four chapters, but you could almost divide it in half, where in a sense of chapter one and two is like act one, and chapter three and four is uh, act two. And I don't know if we have it up here so you can kind of see that. I'll I'll try to read this to you. Uh, You see Jonah and God's word, Jonah and God's world, 
and Jonah and God's grace. And it really is interesting. If you can kind of read this slowly, I just want to kind of, you know, whet the appetite a little bit. Uh, You see God's word come to Jonah, chapter 1, verse 1. God's word comes to Jonah again in chapter 3, verse 1. You see God's message to be conveyed in chapter 1, verse 2. God's message to be conveyed again later in chapter 3, verse 2. I mean, if you want to look at this more and more, it really is paralleled where the first time he disobeys, the second time he reluctantly obeys. And it's very interesting how God's word comes in, how he responds, how the pagans both responded better than Jonah, the pagans in the boat, the pagans in Nineveh. It's just fascinating. It really is the way it's written. And there's certain phrases repeated over and over again to draw your attention to this. So if you want to like look at this, take a picture of it, you can do that. You're like, what is that? You can go to the Bible app. We put our notes up there online so you can kind of follow that and see what, what this is. But it's really an interesting outline to this book. Now, um, I do want to bring this up. You're like, is this true? Like, is this true though? Like, is this, did this really happen? Is this a parable? Is this a myth? I mean, just saw a couple weeks ago, you did a Bible study on just what is the word of God, and you talked about how there's different ways the authors wrote. I mean, is this a parabolic kind of writing style? What is this? Um, I'll say this. We do believe this is not a parable. We do, we do believe that this is not a myth, that this is a true event, true story. There's certain details in here, not just Jonah, but it names his father. We, we see Jonah in other places in the Bible, in the Old and New Testament. Jesus refers to this story as true events. So when Jesus refers back to Nineveh, obviously we know that's a real city, but Jesus refers back to Nineveh. He refers back to, to Jonah being in the belly of the whale. He refers back to it as it happened. So we look at this and say, well, Jesus affirmed it. The Old Testament also affirmed it. And so, yes, we believe this is not a parable. This is a true story. Can we take a lot from this? Absolutely. Is there a lot of moral lessons from this that we can take away? Absolutely. There's a big picture of Jonah we'll look at as weeks kind of unfold because I think this is so brilliantly laid out. Um, But we do see that this is a true event. This really happened. Real people, real places, real things, and a, a real meaning. And there's a lot there for us. And so I'm excited for us to dive into this today as a church and to look at this. You guys ready? Guys excited? So let's read Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 through 6. We're going to read that and pray and look at it more in depth. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now, crazy way to begin. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid. So he paid uh, the fare. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship and laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and, and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. That is the portion of the story we're going to be looking at and diving into today. So let's uh, dive in. Let's pray. Um, (laughs) Father, we thank you. There truly is no one like you. And God, I I really am humbled and reminded by the fact that you love to save people who are far from you. God, you love to save religious people who run from you. God, I'm just, um, I know this book relates to me way, way more than I've maybe considered. God, I really do ask that you'd just speak to us, that you'd move, that Jesus, um, you are the greater than Jonah. You are the one I, I really do believe this story ultimately points to in so many ways. So God, help us see that. Your word truly is just incredibly rich and deep, and we want to value that. We want, to, we want your word to shape us and make us more like you. Let us not just be interested. Um, let it shape us and form us more to the image of your son, Jesus. Father, we thank you. We praise you in your name. Amen. 
a few days ago, I was in my office working on some things, studying, and my wife comes in, kind of has like a panicked, annoyed look on her face. I'm like, what's, what's wrong? She's like, nothing. I'm like, what's going on? And I'm like, where's the baby? And she's like, she's coming. And I'm like, what? And you just hear the baby crawling after my wife with her little like chubby legs squeaking against the floor, like squeak, squeak. And she's like, oh no, she's, she knows where I am. She's following me. And she comes in the room with this big old smile, like, hey, there you guys are. And I'm like, what? She's like, I just can't get away. Sometimes I just want five minutes alone. And she's always coming after me. You know, if you're a young mom, you get that. And it, it was really cute because she like hides like behind the door and the baby's like crawling and like, where are you? Like, it's just awesome, like hide and seek, but reverse the baby chasing the parent. And there's almost like, you can hide, but I'm going to find you, right? Kind of mentality. And, just, and again, you get that. Here's what I think. I think a lot of us maybe view God this way. Sometimes we're like, I just want to get away. I just want to hide. And then God is just pursuing us. And it's not this like angry pursuit as much as this loving pursuit. It comes in smiling. Hey, we're right. You know, there's just this pursuit. You know, you do see this theme in the Bible where man sins and hides. Adam and Eve, the first time they ever sinned, what do they do? They hide. And God's like, Adam, where are you? And he, and he knew where he was. You kind of see this divine, like, hide-and-seek thing happening. That's happening here in Jonah. Uh, but it's happening in a way where I almost want to, like, redeem maybe the thought process behind that or how we view that. Um, I remember as a kid growing up in the church, there's almost this mentality from our, I don't know if it's our children workers when I was a kid, maybe, or if it's my perception, but they're like, God's always watching. God is always watching you. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. It's like scary, like, always, like, always watching? Like, yeah. And it's like, kind of like an intimidating thing. And as you grow up and become a parent, that means something completely different. Like, when, you, when, you, when I hear God is always watching, I, I do think of this, like, as a parent, when you see her, you just always are watching your child. Almost just fascinated, and you, like, love to watch. You love to look at. Parents are funny. We're kind of creepy if you think about it. Like, we walk into the room and just, like, watch them sleep. And I'm like, you know, like, that's weird if you think about it. Like, oh, this is so, this, it's nice when they're quiet. Um, but we like to watch our children. And I, I honestly do think that there's this mentality with God of, I'm watching not because I'm just waiting for you to make a mistake. I'm watching you because I cannot keep my eyes off of you. Like, I really think we need to see God in that light. When God pursues, when God watches, when God's looking, it's not because he's bitter, not because he's angry, not it's like, aha, you messed up, can't wait to punish you. It's like, I just love you and I can't take my eyes off of you. And I really think this changes. So God's, here's what I wanted to point out. As we study the book of Jonah, God's pursuit is not this some angry pursuit of Jonah. Actually, the storm and the fish are incredibly gracious acts of God. So as we look at the, the book of Jonah, as we look at the storm, as we look at the fish that swallows him up for three, uh, three days, three nights, I want you to see that those things are God's acts of love. It's completely different than maybe how we once viewed it. So we're going to walk through this text. So three simple kind of ideas or elements to this text today. Um, we're going to see the call, the call of God, the call of God to Jonah. We're going to see the run. We're going to see Jonah run. And then uh, we're going to see the storm. All right, so the call, the run, the storm. Because I want to break down these verses for us. We're going to get into this a lot more in depth. So the call of God, running from God, and then the storm from God. So let's look. It's act, or Jonah chapter 1 verse 1. Let's read it again. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. All right. So here is the call of God. The call of God goes to Jonah and says, arise. Here's the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord comes to him and says, go to Nineveh. Now, what is Nineveh? If you are taking notes, just know this. Nineveh is the capital city uh, of Assyria. Um, in a hundred years or so later after this, the Assyrians are going to attack the northern tribe of Israel and just destroy and level the city. The Assyrians and the, the children of Israel were in battle almost constantly. Uh, they're in battle a lot against each other. God says to Jonah, a Jewish prophet to a Jewish nation, I want you to physically go to the Assyrian capital, and I want you to cry out against it. 
And here is the call of God. Now, again, when you understand Nineveh and the relationship they had with Israel, and you understand how, how cruel the Ninevites were, I mean, you can do your own research on the city of Nineveh and how just absolutely disgusting and cruel kind of people they were. I mean, they're known for skinning their people alive uh, and placing the skin hanging over the walls of the city. They were a powerful country. I mean, uh, their country, their, their city walls were about 100 feet high, and it was very wide where it says that actually three chariots could ride along uh, the wall at the same time. So it's a very wide, powerful city. But again, just very cruel people. They were known for burying people alive and taking their tongue and just kind of posting it in the sand and letting them die that way. Uh, they're known for sending poles through the bottom half of people and coming out of their mouth. I mean, they're terrible, disgusting, evil people. Gaza, like, go there. Now, when you think about this, here's a guy, a Jewish guy. That's honestly equivalent to him sending this Jewish rabbi to Nazi Germany in the, ni- the mid 1940s into Berlin saying, Hey, I want you to preach the gospel. I want you to tell them about me during World War II, during this crazy. I mean, you're going, are, are you kidding? Do you, know what you're ask- Do you know where you're sending me? And I want you to understand the call of God was mighty. The call was a terrifying thing. I, rather than kind of getting like annoyed with Jonah first off, because sometimes we get annoyed with him right away. I can't believe he ran from God's call. Okay, you know, I don't want to know how many of us would hear that call. Go to Nineveh, that great and wicked city, and cried against it. We'd probably be like, okay, where's the closest ship so I can like go the opposite way? Um, that's what he's doing. And he's fleeing the call of God. Now let me just say this. Jo- this is not Jonah's first rodeo. Jonah is a prophet. Jonah has preached in other places before. Just so you guys want to know or write this verse down, Jonah is mentioned in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25. And Jonah was able, by God's grace, to preach a completely different message. So if you read this, we'll put this verse up. 2 Kings 14, 25. Here's where we see Jonah elsewhere in the Bible before, before the story of Jonah. 2 Kings 14, 25. It says this. Uh, he, referring to the king, Jeroboam II, restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the Sea of Arabah, according to the word uh, to the Lord God of Israel, which he had spoken through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who is from Gath Hefer. So, same Jonah, same father. You're like, what was he telling? Jonah was the guy that got to go to Jeroboam II, an evil king. And if you read about Jeroboam, he's an evil, wicked king of the northern tribe of Israel. So he's the king of the ten tribes, the northern tribes of Israel. That's where he's the king. And Jonah says, hey, Jeroboam, uh, God has told me that we're going to expand our borders. Even though, even at this time, the Assyrians, the same people group, are attacking us, God's going to give us more land. So Jonah was able to tell a king, and not, not, not a lot of prophets, if you ever read the Old Testament, were able to give a lot of good news. Like whether it's Jeremiah or Amos, all the, a lot of these guys had like bad news to bring. Like, hey, we're probably going to go you know, be slaves for a while. Don't get mad at me. I'm just the messenger. Uh, Jonah was able to actually get some really good news. He's like, we're going to expand our borders. And guess what? They expanded their borders. I mean, don't you want to be the guy that gets to share that message? And now God's like, awesome, you shared that good side. Now you're going to share this. Go to Nineveh. Cry out against it. I mean, completely two different extremes, if you think about this. Two different extremes. One's expansion of land. One is the people who murder and assassinate us and are terrible, terrible to us. And Jonah has to do this. Now let me say again, sometimes the call of God in our lives is like fun and exciting, and sometimes it's terrifying. I mean, if you've ever experienced this, you know, sometimes when you follow Jesus, like, it's fun to be able to give or bless someone or help or serve. And you're like, God, it's so fun to serve you. There's times where you're, like, terrified. Times you're like, I don't want to do that. You can't make me do that. I'm not going to do that. Um, I don't know if you've had that. Even for us, like, church planting that idea, you're like, ah, that sounds great in theory, but terrible in practice. I don't know if I want it. There's sometimes where it's fun, sometimes where it's terrifying. And I want you to explore this in your own life. I want you to explore the call of God. You know, I think a lot of us can relate to Jonah more than we think. Because I, I think that God has called us to do some hard things. I, and I want to re- just say this. You know that God can call us to do hard things, right? Like, God's allowed us to say, like, hey, I know this is going to be. Like, some people, I think, sometimes, like, my God, 
tells me to do something hard, <laughs> he doesn't do that. Like, well, maybe your God is you. Um, I, our God is allowed to tell us to do hard things. He's allowed to tell us that things that sound difficult, that sound impossible. I think more often than not, when you read the Bible, God calls the church to do very difficult, hard things, things that will be beautiful, things that in the long run you'll be like, God, that was so good, that was so glorious, but that was so painful and terrifying, and uh, that was so just scary. I think, again, maybe there's that call of God in your life in so many ways. There, there, this can be in positive ways, maybe even negative ways. You know, maybe you sense God's call in different things. God's like, I'm asking you to forgive this person. They've hurt you. They've wronged you. I know that, but you cannot live with this bitterness. I'm calling you to walk in forgiveness. And maybe like Jonah, you, you flee from that. Maybe God has called you to something else. Maybe God's like, I know you love and you idolize that relationship you're in, but it's toxic. It's not making you who you are and who I've created you and designed you. You're compromising in every way fathomable, and I'm calling you out. And it can be kind of in that, that, that tone. Sometimes the call of God can be more in this positive tone of just like, hey, I'm calling you actually to be incredibly generous, to make sacrifice, to help people, to serve people. And it's like in this like kingdom-minded way. It could be God's like, I'm calling you to, to preach the gospel to your next-door neighbor. I'm calling you to maybe into full-time ministry. There's so many different ways. That it, it could be like God's calling you out of something or God's calling you to something. And like Jonah, I think we run. Like Jonah, I think we hear the call and say, I will pick and choose what I want to do. Think about Jonah picking and choosing. Hey, tell King Jeroboam he's going to expand the border. Awesome, do that. Hey, tell Nineveh you gotta, uh, they got to repent. I'm not going to do that one. Like, why do we pick and choose? I think when it comes to the call of God, we think we can pick and choose. And then here's what I see. So when I talk to people, it's like, God's not speaking to me. I'm not getting anything. It's like, what was the last thing God told you to do? Well, I think he called me to do this. Did you do that? No. Okay, he's probably not speaking to you because you haven't done step number one and you're trying to get to step number two. Like, I think we pick and choose a lot in our faith. And God's saying, no, you can't pick and choose. Whether the call sounds good and exciting to you or the call sounds terrifying, it doesn't matter, I'm calling you. See, there's this call of God to Jonah that is absolutely terrifying. And so my question to you today, guys, is listen, please listen. What has God called you to do? Like, honestly, when you pray, when you read, when you seek God, when you fast, when you actually spend time with the Lord, what does God, like, press onto your heart or life? Has, has God, like, said, like, hey, that's that person out of the car. Like, you really should give your car. Like, what has God placed on your I, I really do want to know. I really am curious what that looks like. You know, when we talk about these things in community groups, the hope is not just, like, make this theory. I think a lot of us run from the call of God way more than we think. I think a lot of us go, I don't want to tell anyone that because then there's accountability once I say that out loud. Like, once I say, I think God has called me to break up with my boy because it's talk- I think once you say that out loud, you go, oh, no, now I'm accountable to those words and how I, what I sense God doing. And this, that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. So what has God called you to do? I really do believe God's called you to do some beautiful things and some hard things like Jonah. I think God has called me to do some things that I like to do and some things I don't necessarily like to do, but God has called me to it. And I would say, listen, do not flee from that. Do not run from that. When you hear Jonah's call, what does he say? God says, arise, go. Arise, go. Arise, go to Nineveh. Go. I mean, we, we really do have the same call, if you think about it in just this way. Obviously, God says what? Arise, go. Go into all the world and make disciples. Teach them all the things that I've commanded you. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I mean, this idea of the Great Commission, I remember I'd hear that phrase, like commission. Um, the Great Co-mission is literally the idea of co-mission, like C-O, co-mission. Like we're on mission with God for God. So the Great Commission is God's on mission to save the world, and he's like, I'm asking you to be part of my mission. I'm on, I'm on mission to reach people who are far from me, and I'm asking you to join me in this great mission. So for us, it's the co-mission. 
We're joining God in this work to renew, to redeem, to speak God's word, to see people come to know Jesus. God literally has given us the same call that he's given Jonah. He's like, go to Nineveh. For us, it's go next door, go to your work, go to your neighbor. See, the hope of this book or series for us, church, is that God would make us more evangelistic. Honestly, my hope is that God would give us a burden for the people around us. Our hope is that we look around and say, oh my gosh, I need to be more aware of what people are going to. I need to be more ready to share the gospel when God calls me to share the gospel. And so Jonah, he has the call of God. And number two, what does he do next? He runs. He runs. Can we just look at verse three? Look at this. It's a unique run. Um, Jonah chapter one, verse three. It says, but Jonah, and what do you say? Like, but someone, that's not really good. But Jonah arose. So God's like, arise. He's like, okay, I'll rise. Uh, but he flees to Tarshish, Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. It's, can you say that five times fast, Tarshish? Uh, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So God's like, go to Nineveh. And he's like, I will arise and go somewhere else. So uh, just so you can see the map, and you can kind of see where it is, uh, you have where Jonah was living. He, then he goes down uh, to Joppa. This is like a southern part of Israel. Um, we were going to Joppa in April as a church. If you want to join us. Um, anyways, but you, he goes to Joppa. And as you can see, Nineveh is like in modern-day Iraq. That's where it essentially is. And go to Nineveh, go northeast. And he's like, I'm going to go to like the end of the earth at their time. Tarshish is literally about, about 2,500 miles away. In his mind, it's the furthest place he can find to get away from this. And I love when you can kind of just see this, because for us, we just kind of read it. And Jonah's like, oh yeah, Nineveh, I'm okay. And then he goes to Tarshish. I just, that is so us. And, and here's, here's why I bring this up. Because why? Why? Honestly, why? Why is Jonah fleeing? And, and we're going to kind of fast forward a little bit. It's not just because they're big and bad and scary. There's actually another reason. There's a deeper reason, and I want you to see this. It's Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. And we'll read this again later as we get to the end of the book. But when Jonah is whining and complaining, because you'll see, you know, fast forward, they repent. Uh, and here's what Jonah says in Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. Listen to this. Jonah literally says to God, he says, God, he says, I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. I want you to see Jonah's true colors come out. Do you know what, you know what Jonah's saying? God, I ran away because I knew that if they repented, you'd forgive them. I knew that if they say, we repent, we believe in your God, you would show them grace, and he didn't want them to show, he didn't want God to show grace. Do you understand that Jonah wasn't afraid of failing, he was afraid of succeeding? Jonah was afraid that if he preaches the gospel and they repent, they will be forgiven. What does Jonah want? Does Jonah want to see this great revival and forgiveness? No, he wants to see their judgment. And I really, want you to, I really want you to get that. That is literally, I mean, you could, there's like books and books written like, what is Jonah's motive? I mean, Jonah tells us his motive. I knew, God, you're gracious and merciful, long-suffering, slow to anger. Can we just say, first of all, thank you, Jesus, for that? Can we say, Jesus, thank you? Like, honestly, can I tell you, people are like, God of the Old Testament, man, way different than the New Testament, God. I don't know about that. Um, the people knew this about God. The people knew, no, God is incredibly gracious and slow to anger. And actually, if people repent, God will forgive, and I don't want that. And so you could say, what the heck? Jonah is a messed up sick person, I know. Uh, and we are too. And I think here's what we got to see with this. Um, there is so much happening here. With Jonah, this is completely, write this down. The root of the reason is self-righteousness. The root of the reason for Jonah is self-righteous. I'm a good person. I'm a prophet. I'm a Jew. I'm called by God. These are Ninevites. These are pagans. These are heathens. They, not, they serve their own gods. They do terrible things to people. They're awful. They're wicked. God, they deserve judgment and punishment. So what is self-righteousness? I am good. They are bad. I am superior. They are inferior. 
for Jonah, this comes across, and you could say the, the root, but the fruit of it is racism. He's literally racist to the Ninevites, the Assyrians. So the root of it, you could say, is self-righteousness, but he's racist at his heart. He, he's, this is nationalism to an extreme. We want to prosper. Our country should prosper. This country should fail. Church, we got to see that this can plague us still today, obviously. We got to see that it's our heart. When we see people chanting, death to America, death to America, and you have in your heart, bomb them. Okay, what is that? <laughs> when you hear people doing that, rather than Jonah, we go, what's, what's the appropriate response? If people are chanting death to America, God's like, I love those people. I love those people way more than you think. They're made in the image of God, just like you're made in the image of God. They're running from God in a different way that you're running from me. You see, Jonah's self-righteousness came out in this racist, national pride kind of a way. And, and he's like, repent. You're, we guys, we are followers of Jesus way before we are United States citizens. I, I hope we get that. And I hope you see that in this book. God's like, I love this people group that, want, that wants to see your destruction. I love them. This is hard for me. I don't know what kind of home or family or what kind of news you watch, but maybe this is hard for you. Good. If you're offended by this, good. That's good. I really think this is something beautiful where God's like, you know what? I love mankind, and they're just, they're wicked like I'm wicked. So here's the idea. It's funny. Here's Jonah's self-righteousness. Now, can I just say this? Self-righteousness can come out in many ways. There can be people, let's go to the extreme. The extreme is this. You have an enlightenment. Oh, my goodness. Yes, people. They're like, like how dare people be racist? That is awful. And know what you do? You become self-righteous towards the racists and bigots. You actually take the spirit of Jonah to the Jonas. I don't know if you're tracked with me, but we can do this. We're like, you're not enlightened like me. I'm enlightened. And now we become self-righteous to those who are not enlightened yet. And it's like this constant crazy cycle where God's like, I call all of you to repent. Everyone, me included. God's like, whether you're self-righteous, whether you're, you're, you want to just do your own thing and moral conformity, you just want self-discovery, you want to do whatever. God's like, I call all of you to repent. So I want you to see Jonah's self-righteousness, the fruit of that was racism. The fruit of your self-righteousness or my self-righteousness might look a little different. We might look down on others who are still thinking that way. And God's like, you're both self-righteous. You both need to repent. I love both people. I love the self-righteous. Do you know that Jesus loved Pharisees? I think I struggle with this because Jesus rebukes Pharisees so much. God rebukes Pharisees so much. And know what I do in my heart? I become a Pharisee to Pharisees. Like, ha, that Pharisee. God's like, you're doing it again, right? I, I want you to, we're on this crazy cycle where God's like, I, I'm calling everyone to repentance. Everyone. The left, the extreme left, the extreme right. I'm calling everyone to repentance. Even the middle. I'm calling the independence. To, I'm calling everyone to repent. I want us to see that. That is such a beautiful thing to why we're all in the same playing field. There's not this superiority, inferiority. At the foot of the cross, there's this level ground where you go, I'm broken, you're broken. Hi, we both need Jesus. Yeah, okay, awesome. There's something beautiful that happens at the cross. There's something beautiful because of the gospel of Jesus. And Jonah doesn't get this. Guys, Jonah cannot preach this because Jonah has not experienced this. Do we get this? Jonah cannot preach the grace of God because why? He has not experienced the grace of God. You can be a prophet and you can speak forth God's word, and this is a terrifying thing for me even to say. You can speak forth God's word and still not know it. You can lead a small group and still not know God's word. You can lead people or discuss the gospel or share with it and still not experience and taste and see in yourself. This is Jonah. It is a really humbling thing. So let me give you a practical example of this this week and how the Lord, <laughs> maybe I just felt so convicted of this. Uh, earlier this week, I go to Wawa. You know, I'm a Wawaite, um, big, big believer in it. Um, so I'm going to Wawa early in the morning, uh, going to my son's school event thing. And as I get there, I get out of the car and I see this kind of young guy around my age who gets out of the car and he has a very nice car, dressed very nice. And we, we both walk into, you know, the coffee bar or dinner coffee and he's talking loud and we're both getting coffee. And I hear him just talking about a woman in a just terrible, disgusting way. You know, he's using some vulgar terms and not shy about it. And it sounded like she was his ex or maybe she was his one-night ex. And it was just some pretty terrible, messed up things that he was saying about a human being. And in my mind, in my heart, I'm listening to this and get my coffee in. And I'm like so annoyed, so frustrated. I'm like, this guy's a 
this guy's, you know, junk. He's gross. He's disgusting. And I kind of walk away. I pay for my drink. I get in my car. Later that day, I'm driving, and I'm listening. And I'm honestly flooded with this reminder of I'm preaching on Jonah. And it's almost like the Lord's like, do you not just see that you are Jonah to your next-door neighbor? But rather than being broken for this guy who's so wicked, so rebellious, so far from God, I'm just judging in my heart saying, oh, that's so disgusting. People are so gross. And I'm thinking that, and I honestly had to stop in my car and go, God, I don't know where that guy is, but I ask that, Jesus, you would save him where he's at, that he believe, he repents, he would know you. God, forgive me for being so frustrated by this guy's, I'm just as disgusting, I'm just as wicked, I'm just as lost. It comes out in different ways. I'm just, my sin might look differently, it might look prettier, it might not be as vulgar, it might not be as in your face, but I'm, I'm in need of grace, like this guy's in need of grace. And I, honestly, I was driving my car back later, like a few hours later, and God's like, your attitude toward this guy is exactly what you're preaching on this weekend. And I'm like, oh my gosh, Lord. And I don't, know what, I don't know why the Lord does that, and I think we do that a lot in the church. It's not that God has saved us out of darkness, and now we can look down at darkness. God has saved us out of darkness and into his light, and we go, oh, I can't believe they're still in darkness. How about we bring the light of Jesus? How about, no, we, how about we stop yelling at darkness and just turn on the light? How about we be like, how dare the darkness be dark? And be like, actually, let me just bring in the light of Jesus in this moment. I don't know what that could have looked like. You're like, excuse me, sir, can I remember your phone call and tell you that this? I don't, I don't know what that would look like. I don't. Um, but it is one of those things where I go, God, change the heart posture of my response and then change the fruit of my actions as I encounter this more and more. Church, this will happen in our lives a lot. Listen, there's the call of God. God's like, I love them. God pursued the rebellious group of people called the Ninevites, and God also pursued the religious person called Jonah. They both needed pursuing. <laughs> they both needed someone to say, oh, you're heading in the wrong direction. It's not like one is good, one is bad. They're both bad. The prophet's bad. The Ninevites are bad. They're both bad. They both need to repent. I, I hope we see that. Now, as we read about this in verse 3, it really is, looks like when I say the run, like he's running from God, there are some phrases in, in just verse 3 alone that are fascinating, and Jonah's filled with this. So as you read this in your alone time, look for these little phrases that are repeated over and over again. Look how they're connected to each other. But look at verse 3. We're just going to read it again. Uh, verse 3, it says, Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish, Tarsh, ah, Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and he went down to Joppa, and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish. Why does it say it so much? From the presence of the Lord. All right, here's what I want you to see. Notice how it says this phrase twice, from the presence of the Lord. Would you like circle that in your Bible, underline that? Jonah's running from what? What is he really running from? From the presence of the Lord. This Hebrew word of panim is like he's running from the face of God. So here's what Jonah's running from. He's not just running from, I don't want to preach there. He's going, I don't even want to be in God's presence anymore. He's literally saying, I'm running from my call. I'm running from my job description. I'm running from intimacy with you. You see, let me say this. When you do run from God, you lose a lot. When you run from God, um, you don't just lose relationships. Think about this. He's leaving his home, his family, his friends, what he grew up with. He's leaving a lot, but most importantly, what is he leaving? He's leaving the presence of God. As Christians, I think the worst thing you can experience when you suffer loss is not just friendships, which is terrible, not just, you could say I could lose finances, which is terrible, but the worst, thing, the worst thing I think believers could lose is that intimacy with God. The worst thing you could lose, the, the thing you should be afraid of most in your life is losing your intimacy with God. You're like, I don't have it. Well, that should also concern you. He's fleeing, it says twice in a row, from the presence of the Lord, from the face of God. He's like, I'm leaving my job. I'm leaving you. I'm leaving your presence. And I want you to notice this next phrase. If you look at it, we'll put it up here. It says it a couple of different times, but it says he went down. He went down to Joppa. He went down uh, into the boat. And you'll notice, say this again later, a couple different times, but he's going down. He's going down. So as he leaves the presence of God, he's spiraling down. See, 
there is this downward progression that's happening. There's this downward spiral that's happening. Let me say, when you leave the presence of God, what is the direction you're going in? You're going down. That, that is what it, the verse is really trying to, when you see this in Hebrew too, and it's like, you're seeing like these parallel presence of Lord going down, presence of Lord going down, and you're seeing this repeated. It just stands out at you. It's like, oh my gosh, as he leaves the presence of God, he's just going down and down and down. And it's slowly, but, it's slowly but surely, he's going further and further away from the Lord. And, and this, is so, this is so important for us to see this. It's not all at once. It's a slow downward progression. I think when people, you can't really tell when people are drifting from God. It's very hard because it's usually not this extreme like, they were following Jesus yesterday and now they've lost their mind tomorrow. It's not usually like that. It's usually a slow downward spiral where you're like, hey, I've noticed you missed a few weeks. Hey, I've noticed you haven't been in group. Hey, I've noticed you stopped serving. Hey, I've noticed this. Hey, I've noticed your attitude. Hey, and it's like the slow downward thing that's happening and they're really fleeing from the presence of God. It's not offensive. They're not leaving us. Fleeing. They're not fleeing you. They're leaving the presence of God. And it's like, hey, I care for you. Like, this is the direction you're going in. I see that you're going down to job. You're going down into the boat. You're going down into the fit. You're going down and down and down and down. And Jonah just keeps going down as he flees the presence of God. And we see uh, that very clearly. And, and then look at the next phrase in verse 3. So it says, as he's going down. Look at verse 3 again. We'll throw that verse back up so you can just see it. Uh, it says, it went down to Joppa. And what does it say next? He found a ship going to Shark- Tarshish. There we go again. But he finds the ship. And I want you to see how this just really does stand out. Think about this. As he's fleeing the presence of God, as he's going down, he just so happens to find a boat. Can't you see how humans would reason? Like, well, it must be that God wants me to leave because this boat is ready to go to Tarshish. Wow. Like, I think sometimes we're so, we're silly in our minds. Like, we're God guides. God provides and God gives us opportunity. And sometimes we, like, abuse thoughts like that where it's like, well, if God didn't want me to do this sinful thing, he wouldn't bring a pretty girl in front of me. I mean, it's not my fault. Like, we, we do this. You know, it's funny. It's like if your doctor does say, hey, I, you're, you're really unhealthy. You got to start eating better. Like if you don't, there's going to be some really serious consequences. And then you leave the doctor's office and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm in South Florida and there's amazing food everywhere. And you're like, well, if God wanted me to eat healthy, he wouldn't have Tucker Dukes right here. Like, you know, we like, do this reasoning in our mind this way. And this is what's happening with him. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm fleeing the presence of God. And there just so happens to be a boat that's ready to go. God must want me to go the opposite direction. And you really can see, listen, there will always be a boat ready to take you away from God. There will always be a boat ready to say, come on, we're ready to go. There will always be that girl that's ready to flirt with you and say, come on. There will always be that guy that says, your husband, let me get, you know, emotionally kind of stimulate. There will always be that opportunity. There will always be a boat ready. Do not think it's a coincidence from God. It is not. It is a ship prepared by Satan. <laughs> like, that is not a boat from God. Like, well, God guides, God provides, here's my boat. Not at all. He's fleeing the Lord. He just sees the circumstances and goes, oh, it must be, it must be the Lord. Look what I get in this moment, in this time. And notice what it says next. It says, and he paid the fare. Like, I don't think there's any throwaway lines in the Bible, you know? I think that's a very interesting thing. Like, he paid the fare. What does that mean? Um, his sin cost him something. Sin costs us a lot. You think about what our sin has, has cost me or cost you. Think about what your sin has cost God, the death of his son. Think about how just expensive, sin is expensive. He paid the fare. I love what Ravi Zechariah said about this. He goes, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. And this is true. Like, this cost him, like, okay, I could go with God, but now I'm going to have to pay the fare. Uh, another commentator named Donald Barnhouse said this. He says, it is always that way. I love this. It is always that way. When you run away from the Lord, you never get to where you are going, and you always pay your own fare. On the other hand, when you go uh, the Lord's way, you always get to where you are going, and he pays the fare. I love that. Like, when, when you're running from the God, you always, it's always going to cost you something. But when you're going God's way, he, he pays for it. He'll take care of it. 
So he goes down and down, away from the presence of the Lord. He finds this boat ready. He pays the fare. So we see the call of God. We see this running from God. And now let's look at, lastly, let's look at the storm, the storm from God. Uh, look at verse four. But the Lord, listen, but the Lord sent, everyone say sent. The Lord sent out a great wind on the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God, and they threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. The Lord sent the storm. The Lord sent the wind. He sent this tempest. He sent this. Now, I, I want to be really clear, and I, I do want us to see a few, few important thoughts. Um, the Lord was the sender of the storm in this moment, in this, in this uh, incident. Um, it might not always be that every storm is from the Lord. Let me just clarify. Not every storm in your life is like, oh, God's just punishing me. It might not be that. I do want to be clear on that. I think sometimes we can almost live as Christians, like we can live in this belief of karma, which is not a thing we believe in. But it's almost like, oh, I messed up, so therefore this happens. That's not necessarily how it works. The disciples were in a storm. They didn't sin. They're in the middle of the storm with Jesus, and it's not because of their sin. It might be because of character. It might be because God's going to use the storm or redeem the storm, but it wasn't sent from the Lord necessarily. All I'm trying to say is not every storm is necessarily from the Lord, but I do want to say this, and we'll put it this way. The Bible does not say that every difficulty is the result of sin, but it does teach that every sin will bring you into difficulty. Let me say that again, and please don't miss that. This is really important. The Bible does not say that every difficulty is the result of sin, but it does teach that every sin will bring you into difficulty. See, I want me and you, I want, this is something I'm trying to teach my son. Hey, son, there's, there's consequences for your actions. Okay, if, there, if, you, if you make a mistake, there's consequences. That's what ha- there's this idea of you're running from me, I'm going to send the storm. Now, we do got to see that that is God's love, and that's God's loving pursuit, that the storm is terrifying, that this, this storm might break up the ship and kill it. Like, it's terrifying. But you guys see that is the loving call of God. There's a loving pursuit of God saying, I want you back in my will. I don't want you to be running from my will. But you do understand that when we sin, there's consequences for our sin. You know, the book of Hebrews chapter 12 talks a lot about this. But it talks about whom God loves, he disciplines. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Church, you get this? If you're being disciplined or have been disciplined, take it as a good thing that God loves you. When people start to get away with sin, that's when I get concerned. I'm like, you're getting away with a lot of sin. Um, I think when you don't get away with sin, I think that's a good reminder of just like God's pursuit and love. I want you to understand that Hebrews 12 goes on to talk about that in Hebrews 12, 6, and you can read that and read the story. It's basically saying um, a father will discipline his son because he loves him. And God disciplines us because he loves us. God, God says, I love you so much. There needs to be consequences so you can learn from this, so you can get back in the will of God, and you can follow me the way you're called and designed to. Don't view every storm as, oh my gosh, it must be because of sin. And John 9, remember the guy who's blind? They're like, why is he blind? Was this because of his sin or his parents' sin? Jesus is like, neither, neither. This is just so the glory of God could be revealed. But there are times we've got to say, wow, why am I going through this? And it is important to maybe say, am I fleeing? Am I running? Is there sin, unconfessed sin? You see people get some sort of sickness, disease, some sort, and it's like, well, where did that come from? Well, I was sleeping. Oh, like there is consequences for sin. We have to understand that. That is a reality that we see here. And, but know this, the consequences are out of love. God's like, I love you. I discipline you. I want you to see this because um, I think there's some kind of twisted, like if you discipline your kids today, you're just like, oh, you don't love. Like, I, I think that this kind of shapes us even as adults. We got to see that 
listen, when you're disciplined, it's out of love. It's because God loves you and he's pursuing you and he's like, I want you to be back in relationship with me. God loves us and pursues us. And here's what we see with Jonah though. Did you notice this? That his sin is affecting everyone on the boat? Do you notice that your sin affects others? Jonah could be like, this is a personal thing. This is just me and God, man, right? And I, I love when I talk to people, it's like, this is just my sin between me and God. This does not affect anyone else. Whatever, I'm just looking at pornography. It's not a big deal. It just only affects me and God. It's only between me and God. And it's like, no, no, that has consequences that you can, the ripple effects you probably don't see. You're paying for that. It's just funding this in terrible industry, just enslaving maybe women to just a terrible lifestyle. You know, those are going to be future wise, future, and you're like, you're not seeing how that's going to shape and warp them and hurt their marriage and they have future arguments about things. You really think that's just between you? You really think your sin is only between you and God? Which is me and my girlfriend. You really think that's only you? Do you think that's not going to affect your kids, the way you parent, the way you love, the way you serve, the way you interact with people? You're going to maybe do it out of things, say things or live way out of bitterness because you're in sin, you feel guilt and shame. It's never between just you and you alone. Your sin will always affect other people. Your sin will always bring other people into it. And they're going, why are we in this storm? It's like, oh, because someone must have messed up. And, and that's what's happening between Jonah and the people in this boat. And I find that fascinating. That is what's happening, that your sin and our sin affects other people. So what happens? Um, the captain comes down, and where does he see Jonah? He's sleeping. Now, right away, I just want to point out a few things. Um, this story, if you read the Gospels, it is crazy how, how uncanny it is with Mark 4. In Mark 4, you have the disciples in the storm, and the way it starts off is very similar. They get in a boat— uh, Jesus goes into the middle of the boat to sleep. They're working. They're sleeping. The storm suddenly comes upon them. Like, it's a quick storm. Uh, you see that as the storm's happening, they both, Jonah and Jesus, both are sleeping. They both need to be woken up. They, Jesus, wake up. Don't you see that we're perishing? Same kind of question. Jonah, wake up. Don't you see that we're perishing? One was at sleep because he just knows the peace of God. He, Jesus knows, like, it's okay. God's in this. Jonah's at peace. And Jonah's not at peace. Jonah's just asleep because he's just trying to run from the presence of God. And he's like, I just want to ignore this and die. And, and you just see these kind of crazy parallels. And both times the storms stop just abruptly. I mean, there's really unique things happening between Mark 4 and the storm with Jesus and, and the storm here. And here's what I want to see. Jesus was asleep in the middle of the boat completely in God's will. Jonah was asleep in the middle of the boat running from God's will. Jesus was asleep because, you know what? He knows that salvation's coming. Jesus is salvation. He's here to preach salvation. Jonah was also called to preach salvation, but he's fleeing salvation. I mean, it's just uncanny when you see these two things kind of side by side by each other. And the captain goes to him and says, what are you doing, oh sleeper? I love that. He just calls him sleeper. Hey, sleeper! Like, he's just mocking it. This, this is a historical satire. Honestly, the way it's written is almost in a satirical way. It's very interesting. And he's going, what are you doing, oh sleeper? Isn't it crazy when the world has to call out the church and say, church, why are you sleeping? Isn't it crazy that the world has called out to their own gods while we're sleeping? Here's the world saying, ah, we're going to die. And the church is where? Where's the church? You see Jonah's asleep in the boat. Honestly, this was probably one of the most humbling things for me. And I'm reading this going, God, this is me. There's people all around me who are perishing. And am I sleeping or am I awake? Am I participating and seeing that boat be saved? Or am I asleep in the middle of the boat? Guys, I, I beg us, I beg us. The church, we, me, Josiah, I need to wake, we need to wake up. There are people in our lives that are going to hell. There are people in our lives that are perishing. And are we sleeping? Are we awake? Are we trying to do something about it? They're throwing cargo off their boat. Maybe this will keep us alive. They're doing works. Workspace things won't save them. They need a divine intervention to save them. The world's trying to do workspace things to save them. That will not work, guys. Works will not save us. We're not saved by works. We're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But they're trying to be saved by their works. It's like, that's not going to work. That is not going to work. They need divine intervention. Jonah's sleeping. And I feel like so often God's saying to the church, church, wake up. Wake up. 
the people around us need Jesus and we're sleeping and God's like, wake up. And I think this is why, honestly, as we prayed for this book and for our church, just kind of like lovingly shake us a little bit and go, wake up. We need, people need Jesus. God has called us to go like Jonah has, God called Jonah to go. And there's this idea of just, we got to wake up a bit, wake up. And so he goes, what are you doing? Oh, sleeper. Um, a pastor wrote a sermon called The World Rebuking the Church. I thought that was such a good title, The World Rebuking the Church. There's something about the world's like, hey, church, you're messed up. You're like, Ugh. There's something heavy about that. Um, notice that this affects, again, all of them. And then here's, here's the phrase that just like, just stuck, stood out to me. If you look at the end of verse six, what does he say? He says, wake up. He says, perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. All right. Look at the phrase. Look at how it's worded. Hey, wake up. Pray. Cry. Call out. We're praying. Will you pray? Perhaps your God will hear us and consider us so that we may not perish. Little do they know God is sending that very man to a nation so they won't perish. And here they are perishing. So essentially, Jonah is basically dooming the Ninevites— and he's dooming this boat because it's just his disobedience. They're like, maybe your God will not let us perish. And God's like, yes, I'm actually sending this man so an entire city won't have to perish. And yet you're perishing because of his disobedience. And there's something about this. I want you to see that God is way more concerned about lost people than we are. I think sometimes if you God is like indifferent. God's like in heaven, like, well, like, I've called you to do it. Why aren't you doing it? Like, it's not that. You've got to see that there's a God in heaven who's like, I, I, I'm begging you, be right with me. I, I want you to believe in me. Second Corinthians 5, Paul writes it this way. He's like, we are pleading with you on God's behalf, be reconciled to God. Paul is saying, God is pleading through us for you to be reconciled. God pleads. God wants people to be reconciled. They're going, and, and do you see that like in different questions? Like maybe God, maybe your God doesn't want us to perish. And the answer is this, of course God does not want you to perish. Absolutely, God does not want you to perish. I think for some reason the church has got, kind of gone to extremes where we're like we act like God is indifferent. And here are the verses. We're just going to throw up a lot of them. Um, this is 2 Peter 3.9. It says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should, say the word, any should what? Perish. But that all should come to repentance. I mean, this is Peter going, do you not see that God, God is not slow. God is patient with us. He wants no one to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. And sometimes you hear people like, well, maybe they're chosen by God. It's like, no, God wants everyone, everyone to have eternal life. The will of God is that no one would perish. And God's like, I'm sending this guy and he's running from, and they're going to perish. And this boat, this boat might perish. I've called you to go. Can I answer the questions of, well, would they be, would they be saved anyways if Jonah didn't go? I'm not going to get into that. I don't know. I'm getting into more of this fact of God called him to do it and he's running from it. You see, we, we know this is repeated throughout the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The ending of that, Jesus said, is the world's already condemned. I did not come to condemn you. You're already condemned. I came that you might be saved. People are like, don't condemn me, man. It's like, we, ne- we never could. You already are condemned. We, Jesus wants you to be saved. We're not condemning anyone. There's no one. We could never do I don't have the authority to condemn. So the idea is Jesus said, I have come that you might be saved, that you would not perish. I mean, this again is just repeated. Two different times in Ezekiel, God says this. In Ezekiel 18, God says, I have no pleasure in the death of the one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, turn and live. Ezekiel 33, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die? This is God speaking. 
People are like, why does God send people to hell? And you go, duh, do you not see this? God is like, I've made it so difficult for people to end up there that it's literally over my dead body they have to end up in hell. It's over my dead, literally over my dead body for you to end up in hell. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Do you not hear God pleading? He goes, turn, turn, turn and live. Like, I think that we need to see God as this passionate God pleading with his, his creation who he loves desperately and says, I want you to believe. Don't per- you don't have to perish. Some people don't even believe in God, yet they still run from him. It's funny when you talk to someone who's like, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in God, but I'm like, but you're like, run, but you run from him in everything you do. It's just, it's my, and God's like, I'm just going to pursue them, relentlessly pursue them, and I've called you to join me in this pursuit, this great mission, this great commission of help me pursue people who are running from me, even religious people who run from me. Not just the Ninevites, but the, the religious people who are like, peace out. God's like, I'm calling everyone. I'm pursuing everyone. I'll pursue the Ninevites. I'll pursue you, Jonah. I'm, come on. Do we see that God is a pursuing God? Does this not bring you hope that when you're in sin, God's not like, well, shouldn't have sinned again. Like, that's not God's attitude towards us. That God's attitude is you sin again, I'm going to pursue you. You sin, you sin, you run, you run. I pursue, I pursue. Hopefully sooner or later we're like, I'm done, I'm done. God, I don't want to run from you. I mean, if you follow Jesus, that's essentially what happened. You basically said, I've been running from God my whole life, but I'm done. I'm done. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm tired. Running from God is painful. Running from God is expensive. It is costly. I don't want any more storms and the fish thing. I'm done. There comes a point in time where you, you view these things happening to you as God's relentless love. That you view discipline no longer as like, man, that God is some vindictive God who's angry, always trying to discipline me. No, you view him as a loving father who says, I want to course correct you. I want to change the direction of your life. I want to change the end direction of your life. And so I'll do whatever it is I have to do to wake up and get your attention. I'll just do whatever it is. Because I don't want to make the same mistake Jonah made, which is he didn't preach this to people. I really do believe there are people, I believe right now there are religious people in this room who maybe even don't view themselves as running from God. And God's like, I've called you to a great mission. All you want to do is have theological debates. And I've called you to reach lost people. And you're like stuck on these stupid little arguments. And I've called you to reach people who are on their way to hell. And I think God's pursuing all of us. I think in our own way, we all run from God, and God's like, I'm pursuing you. Stop running. Listen, I really don't, I'm not just saying this in a vague, I don't really understand, I know what this looks like in my life. There are a lot of different areas of my life I might run from God, and God, I'm like, okay, God, I'm, you feel like every day, I feel like every day there's like a new thing, I'm like, okay, I'll start with that. And then you like, start pursuing someone else, and you're like, okay, you saw that, I'm like, okay, I'll pursue you again. Like, there is that going on. Where are you running from God? How are you running from God? What has God said? Stop running. Stop running. This game is obnoxious. You hate it. I don't like, I want you just to like give in. I'm pursuing you relentlessly because I love you. Listen, this question from this, from the captain of the boat, perhaps your God will not let us perish. It's like, absolutely. That is the heart of God. That no man or woman should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Amen. God doesn't want anyone in this room to, to perish. God doesn't want you to hear this whole message, leave Walk away, live your life, die, and enter into eternity apart from him. God does not want that. I would say right now, believe on Jesus and you'll be saved. It's that simple. I love how simple the Bible makes it. I love when guys go to Jesus and they go, what are the works you must do to work the work of God? The way they put it was funny. And Jesus is like, believe on me whom the Father has sent. Like, huh? No, like what, what things do we need to do to be saved? Believe on me whom the Father has sent. I would say believe in Jesus. Believe in the one. Believe in the one this is all about. Believe in the one that this is pointing to believe in the greater than Jonah, believe in the one that's saying, oh, this is what it's really about? Yeah. They, they, could never have the, they could never make the storm stop. They need divine intervention, and that is Jesus. Jesus is our divine intervention from the chaos and the storms of life and the storm of hell. Jesus is that divine intervention of saying, it's done, it's over. I'll take the wrath so that you, so that you can be forgiven. 
I'd say, believe this. And church, believe this. Hey, Christians, you've been in the church for a while. You still run from God. Believe this. There's still that constant, like, yeah, I'm getting sloppy and lazy again in my Christian life. Like, I'm allowing things and vices again to take over me. Yeah. Like, don't just think, well, I know this and I have pretty good, like, I don't care if you can quote to me authors or books about, like, it's like, do you live this out? Have you surrendered to this? In Jesus' pursuit of you, have you said, I'm done? I'm all in? Because when you experience that, and if we could get a room full of people who say I'm all in, I wonder what we could see accomplished in the world. If you could get a room full of the opposite of Jonah's in some way, the Isaiah's, right? Jonah's like, here I am, send him. Uh, Isaiah's like, here I am, send me. I would love for us to be like, how do we get that? Just a room full of Isaiah's going, yes, God, here I am, send me. Jonah's going to go, he's going to go reluctantly. And we're still going to get to that later. But I would love to see God do a new work in this place. We're saying we're not going to go reluctantly. I'm not going to keep running from God. I'm going to give in. Amen? Listen, today, right now, you can come up here and say, I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and we will pray with you. And it's as simple as you calling out to the Lord, and we will do that. It's as simple as you saying, I believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and he rose again from the grave. And if you believe on him, you will be saved. Those are not my words. Those are the Bible's words. Those are Jesus' words. It is so simple. Do not let the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus deceive you as Eve was deceived in the garden. Do not be deceived by the simplicity of the gospel. It is so beautiful. Amen? We're going to pray. We're going to worship. And then we're going to send you in a second after that. So please stay as we worship. Jesus, we thank you. There is no one like you. You are the God who pursues. You are the God who pursues rebellious people and religious people. Thank you for that. God, I've been both. (laughs) So thank you for your pursuit. Lord, I, I, I need you every moment. So God, please, in those areas, you know, where I just need to continue to just relent and give over, I do. And Jesus, for everyone, Those areas where we run, those areas where we want to do it our way, the areas where we pick and choose, God, let us no longer do that. I just ask that, Jesus, we would completely give in to you and to your work. We praise you now. We want to thank you now. We want to celebrate you now, Jesus. Say thank you for being the God that pursues. In your name, amen. Why don't you stand up and let's just close our time by worshiping the Lord.